Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom. You said that if we're humble enough to admit that we need it, you said if any of us lacks wisdom, we can ask you for it. And Lord, wisdom is truth, the right truth at the right time. I pray that this morning as we open up your word for everybody that's here, God, give us the right truth at the right time. Open up our hearts and our minds to hear your voice through your word in scripture. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, um, today we're going to hit the, I mean, this is the final sermon in the Acts series. Some of you have made it through 27 sermons on on the book of Acts. Today's going to be 28. Um, Some of you are joining us. Maybe this is your first time. You're going to cut right to the chase, I guess. You know, you're going to finish right with the the old climax right at the end. Um, And I'm I'm really excited to open up God's word with you. I want to start off, though, by kind of helping us get in the right frame of mind, tuning our ears a little bit. Um, You know that us as, we as human beings, we're, we're wired to understand the, all the key elements of a great story. It's, it's almost like when a story starts unfolding, all we need is we just need to see the certain trajectory and then we know where it's going to end. Um, like, for instance, my wife and I went uh, on Friday and saw the, um, the sequel to Top Gun. Oh man, it was awesome. And... Um, all, the only thing I needed to know, as soon as, as, soon as I found out that, uh, that Goose's son was a pilot and Maverick was in the movie, doesn't everybody know exactly where that movie's going to end up? Don't you know? Or like, for instance, let's say uh, on a movie, a camera, um, op- you know, a movie starts, the scene opens up, it's a young professional guy. He, uh, he wakes up in the morning, he's making his coffee, sets his tie just right, uh, grabs his briefcase, and then, the, and then he walks out the door, and then the scene cuts. Cuts over to a young lady. Now she's scrambling, stuff is everywhere, she's woken up late. She's you know, throwing her clothes everywhere, throws, throws something on, you know, last minute lipstick in the mirror, pushes the door open, grabs her coffee, walks downstairs. Next scene. She runs into this guy. They, they bump into each other. She drops her coffee. They look at each other. She looks annoyed and walks up the street. Where do you know that movie is ending? <laughs> First thing you do, husbands, you look at your wife and you say, you tricked me into a rom-com again, right? Okay, so it means that we are... We understand the key elements of stories and we can anticipate where they're going. Today I want you to, as we get in Acts chapter 28, we're going to see that there's a storyline that Acts 28 is picking up on and it's laying down a storyline that's going to continue. Because Acts chapter 28, as we get into it, you're going to see it's somewhat of a disappointing conclusion. There's lots of strings that are left, lots of things that you want to see resolution about, and yet we're not going to get them in Acts. But Acts 28 is, is, it is pointing us into a direction, and I want us to be able to focus in on that. So I'm going to ask you to take your copy of God's Word, open up to Acts chapter 28. I'm going to ask that you stand to your feet as we honor the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read verses 1 through 16, and then we're going to skip and read the final two verses in the book of Acts. This is 28 verse 1. 
After we were brought safely through, we learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius who received us and entered, or sorry, entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Petoloi. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Now down to verse 30. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know that we need your divine help in order to understand the Bible, to get the truth of the Bible, to overcome our disbelief and our belief in the wrong things. God, I don't know everybody here. I don't know... I don't know where people are struggling with disbelief. And I don't know where people have been convinced to believe the wrong things. But today, would you bless your word and let your word go into our ears and into our minds and clean our thinking. Please do this for us. Please help us through the helper that you have given to all Christians, your Holy Spirit. Thank you for him. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. Okay, as soon as you hear a story about a guy who's going to be going to share God's word, and then all of a sudden comes a snake. Anytime in the Bible you hear about a venomous snake, who do you automatically think of if you've been listening to the right stories in the Bible? Is a snake a good character or a bad character? A bad one always. Now, I just want you to think for one second, if you've been with us for a number of weeks here, how much has Paul been through? I mean, remember Paul got, Paul got beaten in a mob scene in 
locked up in prison, spent two years because the political leaders didn't have enough guts to let him go, was shipwrecked, um, you know, swam ashore. Now they're on the shore in, in Malta and then they've got a huge fire going. Now I say it's a huge fire. Do you, if you were here last week, do you remember how many people swam from the, from the boat to the shore? Do you remember how many that was? 276. And we know that all 276 made it to the shore. In fact, we know that all the hairs on the heads of all 276 people, all those hairs made it safely to shore. So when the, when the natives on Malta started a fire to keep them warm, think how big do you think a fire was going to have to be so that 276 people could gather around it and be warmed? See, here's one of the things we have to consistently remember about the Bible. Because we have to remember this about our culture. We, we get taught from a very young age to see ourselves as advanced and progressing and previous people as primitive and not very smart. So it means every time we look back in human history, we assume, because of, because of the lie of evolution, we assume that human beings are getting better and better, smarter and smarter, stronger and stronger. And the Bible does not teach that. So when we find out about a group of people who are living on the island of Malta, we're automatically going to think about them as primitive people. And yet, they, they, have a, they host a fire for 276 people. And Paul tells us that for three months, the chief leader on the island of Malta is warmly takes care of and gives plentiful resources to 276 people for three months. Let me ask you a question. If I met you out in the atrium later today and I said, you know, can you help us? We, we need to host some people. Um, do you think that I could have some people stay at your house for three months? First off, you'd say, no, <laughs> right? No, you might say, well, how many people exactly? You know, oh, it, it's not a big deal. Just 276 people need you to put them up for three months. Here's what I'm saying. This was no small estate, right? And so now stand around this fire with 276 people. Think about this. The Apostle Paul was not too high up to be part of the team of people that had to gather sticks and put it in the fire. So he grabs a bundle of sticks and throws it in the fire. And as he does... He survived beatings, survived shipwrecks, survived an assassination attempt, two of them. And now, with, you know, just within days and miles of reaching his destination point, he wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to preach the gospel in Rome. What, is he going to die by a snake bite? And this is where Luke is recording this event and God planned for this event for our specific instruction and places it right here at the 28th chapter. And the reason why, this serpent is part of an overall strategy that has been going from the very beginning to resist, shut up, and destroy not only the Apostle Paul, but every one of the apostles whom Jesus had said, go into the world and tell them the truth. And the reason why, we know in the very beginning, in the Garden of Eden, to Adam and Eve came a little serpent. And what did that serpent do that started to destroy the human race from day one? What does he do? He lies. He is a liar. Lies are his native language. The Bible calls him the father of lies. 
Now, we in our culture might not think that much about that because we think, well, what's, you know, what's the big deal about a lie? The Bible does not share that perspective, right? Little kids learn the nursery rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And everybody knows that ain't true. Everybody knows you can still hear in your head somebody who is really important who said something mean-spirited to you. How long does it take you to forget those words? In the scripture, the devil is the father of lies. And the apostle Paul is marching out one missionary venture at a time, walking into countries, walking into capital cities, walking onto university campuses, walking into Supreme Court offices, walking to the halls of power. And he's doing one thing every single time. He's telling the truth. The Apostle Paul is telling the truth in an entire world that has believed a lie. What happens when you tell the truth when you're surrounded by a whole culture that has believed a lie? Is it safe to tell the truth in a culture that has believed a lie? No, it is not because lies go somewhere. I mean, think about what a perfect teaching illustration of viper is. What does a viper do? A viper takes a bite, punctures the skin, Underneath the skin injects a venom. And then the strength and glory and beauty of your human body's natural systems. Your circulatory system, which keeps you alive, is actually the very tool that's used to take the venom and spread it throughout your system, killing you. Instead of your circulatory system distributing oxygen to all of your body that needs it, your whole system will take that poison and spread it throughout. And this is exactly what happens with lies. That great serpent, the devil, climbed right up to Eve in the garden. And this is a real story. And he told her a lie. Has God really said? Do you know how many people's lives have been hurt through those words? Sticks and stones can break my bones, but that lie will destroy you. The Apostle Paul is in chains. This is not the way that he was hoping to go to Rome. He's in chains, imprisoned. Do you know why those shackles are on his hands? Those shackles are on his hands for one reason. Lies. The Jewish leaders in the city of Jerusalem hated him and hated Christ. And so what did they do? They lied to the people in authority. They bore false witness, a false accusation. False accusations can destroy people's lives. And I don't, in our day and age over these last 10 years, do I need to say anything about the way the right lie told to the right person at the right time can ruin your life. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, launched out from Jerusalem, not entering neutral territory. The Bible does not teach that the whole world is neutral territory. The Bible teaches that the entire world believed the very, not only that very first lie, but all the lies that came after that. Every culture around the world believes lies about the core questions whereby all of us need the truth. Question, where do you come from? Who made you? There is the truth of God's word. You were made and created by God. That is the truth. And in our culture has saturated all the way down to the roots a great deep lie. And that lie is that you came from nowhere. 
Sticks and stones will break your bones. You know how bad that lie will hurt you? That lie will destroy your life. You want to know what's going on around our society right now? A whole group of people believe, I don't have any purpose. God didn't make me. That lie, a number of other lies. And, and Paul courageously puts himself right on the front line, the storm front between the world of lies and the world of the truth. And in case we need any convincing that if you stand with the truth right at the storm front of lies, that's a dangerous place. All I have to do is point right to that cross over there. What, what crucified Jesus? Lies. Those, those Jewish leaders, the one that Jesus said, you're a brood of vipers. You want to know why he called them a brood of vipers? Because they were a brood of liars. And those liars went to Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate knew they were lying. And yet he let that lie stand. It's a sin to tell a lie. You know what else is a sin? It's a sin to believe a lie. Both of those things are sins. Christians do not tell lies and do not believe lies. Jesus Christ, the truth, the way, the life is crucified on a cross because of a powerful lie. Lies go somewhere. And lies have the Apostle Paul shackled and on his way to Rome. They leave Malta, they get on a ship through a series of uh, travels. He ends up landing at the main port of Rome and taking the primary road that leads from the port right to the capital city of Rome. This is the very road, this is the very port and the very road that all of Rome's enemies, when they were conquered, would have been shackled up and marched in a great parade, mocked and reviled and hated. Look at those losers. That's exactly what would have happened. Not only did it happen to defeated enemies, it would have happened to condemned prisoners. Paul is in a whole string, a whole string of condemned prisoners, and he's shackled, and he's walking to the capital city. And who's lining the streets? Luke tells us that Christians who live in Rome went 43 miles outside of the city so they could stand along the side of the road and encourage Paul. They had heard that Paul was coming. And it's not just us in, you know, 2022 that think about the Apostle Paul as a hero. They knew he was a hero. They came out to the road. At the 43-mile marker, they were out there. At the 33-mile marker, they were out there. It gives us uh, two locations, a marketplace uh, and, a, and a set of taverns. And this either means that there were so many Christians that came out of Rome to line the streets to watch the Apostle Paul come into Rome. There was either so many Christians that they stretched for 10 whole miles can you imagine how encouraging that would be to Paul? I'm walking into the great city and I'm going to face a trial and I'm in chains and then I see what's on the right and on the left of me. Look at all these Christians. And Paul goes right into the city of Rome and then Luke tells us as a 66-year-old man he ends up renting probably a room and from that room, shackled to a guard 24 hours a day for two years, he does one thing every day for two years. What does he do? He tells people the truth. And he does it with boldness. Now we know the way Roman guards work, they worked in four-hour shifts. So this means six times a day there was a change-off. 
These Roman guards were, you know, likely on almost every day. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be shackled to the Apostle Paul while he taught the Bible? I mean, I've heard some great preachers in my day. Um, I actually, I went to college just a couple blocks away from arguably one of the greatest preachers in the last 50 years, a guy by the name of John Piper. I heard John Piper preach in person. And I mean, while you're hearing him in person, you're just like, he, I feel like he's reading a different Bible because it sounds beautiful when he says it, I don't, you know? Okay, that'd be beautiful, but can you imagine being shackled to Paul who wrote Romans? And what happened? What happened to all those guys who were chained to him for two years, listening to him preach? Can I show you? If you have your Bible, I want you to turn over to the book of Philippians. Now, we can't forget that most of Paul's writings all happened along during the book of Acts. So Thessalonians has already been written. The book of Romans was written before uh, this, this point in the book of Acts. But during this two years while Paul is in prison, one of the books that he definitely wrote was the book of Philippians. And what I want you to do is I want you, if you have your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 1. Now remember, Paul's shackled to Roman imperial guards in four-hour shifts. And the entire time he's, he's preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be made right with God? And then this is what he writes. He writes a letter from this, this prison time. He writes it to the Christians in the city of Philippi, chapter 1, verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, think about all that's happened to him. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. See, you could put Paul in chains. There is one person who you cannot put in chains. That's Jesus Christ, who's on his throne. There's another person you can't put in chains, the Holy Spirit. And the, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, Paul's in chains, they are not. Paul's mouth is not in chains. And when he opens up his mouth and tells people about Jesus Christ, it makes an impact. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now, Paul wanted to go to Rome. He tells us this in, in uh, Acts. Um, I think it's in chapter 19. God puts it in his heart that he wants to go to Rome. And then we find out actually in Romans, in the book of Romans, Paul writes why he wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to go to Rome because he wanted to raise money for a missionary journey that he was going to go to because he wanted to go all the way to Spain to preach the gospel. He had it in his heart to go to Rome. And remember, Jesus Christ appeared to him multiple times. <laughs> and said, you're going to go to Rome. But not to raise money for a missionary journey. You're going to go to Rome, and you're going to testify about me in front of Caesar. Let me ask you a question if you're a Christian here. You ever had somebody who, who you were kind of intimidated by, and if, if somebody was like, hey, you should go tell that person about Jesus Christ. Go tell them that they're going to end up in hell if they don't come to Jesus Christ. And you're ever like, I, but I don't want to. You know what I mean? I'm going to look, oh, I don't want to say, I'm going to be, that's going to look still, I don't want to do that. Paul was going to go to the most, the most powerful person in the world. And Jesus says, you're going to go stand in front of the most powerful person in the world. And I want you to tell him about me. 
and he gets, he gets two years shackled to his, his elite military unit. I mean, those guys were n- nothing to shake a stick at either. He's going to stand in front of the most powerful person in the world. Can I show you something else? If you still have the book, if you're still in Philippians, turn over to chapter 4. It's because in Acts chapter 28, it, it doesn't, Luke doesn't tell us. We don't see him, we don't see him talking to Caesar. We don't see him testifying, but we know that he did. First of all, because Jesus told him, you're going to, you're going to testify to Caesar and everything that God says comes true. But then look at this. This is at the very end of the letter of Philippians chapter four. Look at verse 21. He's finishing up his letter the way he always does, sending greetings from all the Christians that he's with. Now he's in Rome. He's in that prison time. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. So now there's a bunch of Christians there. Verse 22, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The Apostle Paul walked right into Rome, the most powerful city in the world. Under, under imperial guard, started making converts of the soldiers that were in prison, the elite soldiers, testified to Caesar. Not only did he testify to Caesar, people in Caesar's household became Christians. Why? God has ordained it. That lies don't win in the end. The truth, the truth prevails. Paul preaches the soldiers, preaches the Caesar, Caesar's household. And and this Caesar is a wicked man. We we know him in history as Nero. And a great Christian named Jonathan Edwards wrote an outstanding work. It's called The History of the Work of Redemption. And he talks about what happened in Rome between the Christians and Roman society and the rulers of Roman society. What happened after this happened? And so I just want to, I want to share this with you. Here they are, notes. Now, just before Jesus Christ was born, the Roman Empire was raised to its greatest height of power. In the year 70, God used the Roman Empire to destroy Jerusalem and its temple. Not one stone was left on top of another. Do you know why? Because Jesus Christ said it would happen. He's the one who said, I will destroy this temple. And after he was resurrected and seated at the right hand of the Father, he used the Roman Empire as his rod of iron and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. And do you know why? They crucified him. They lied about him. Now, Paul's years in Rome were the years leading right up before this. And just after that, Rome would turn on Christianity. And Nero would be the one to do it. He started a fire to destroy this, the capital city. He destroyed all of its beauty and all of its splendor by burning it almost completely to the ground. Because he wanted to rebuild it the way that he liked it. And then you know what he did? He lied about it. Do you know who he said started the fire that destroyed the city of Rome? You know who he blamed it on? Christians. 
and the people of Rome believed the lie. He's a liar, and the people of Rome believed the lie. And that began 300 years of persecution. There were 10 persecutions. Nero is the one who would end up killing Peter. Church tradition tells us he was crucified upside down in the city of Rome. And the Apostle Paul would be beheaded in the city of Rome by this wicked Emperor Nero. Thousands of other Christians would die at the same time. The second persecution was under the Emperor Domitian. He's the one who banished the Apostle John to the island of Patmos where he was given the revelation. 40,000 Christians were killed. Under Adrian, 10,000 more Christians martyred. In the year 162, the gospel had made its way all the way to the island of England. In the year 162, Christians were martyred in England. What was happening? The truth of the gospel was not going out into neutral territory. Here's how Jonathan Edwards says it. He says, Satan had for so long been in possession of all the nations, having deceived them into worshiping animals and stars. And Satan, unwilling to give in, stirred himself to his utmost to bolster the gates and devour any Christians that were crashing the gates of his prisons. With all the power of the dragon and all of his evil angels, he was filling the minds and hearts of the elite, the educated, the powerful, the wealthy, and all of them lined up in opposition and took out their rage on Christians. But the harder they tried to root Christianity out, the more it grew. In the 10th persecution... Those who were in authority set themselves with utmost violence against Christianity. They burned the Bibles, trying to destroy the Christians. They didn't even wait to arrest them or hold trials. They fell upon them wherever they could. They set fire to churches. They slaughtered multitudes of them. 17,000 were murdered in one month in Egypt. 140,000 died by persecution. 700,000 of them died banished out to the wilderness. This persecution lasted a decade. But at the same time, Christians were filling up the Roman Empire everywhere. Tertullian, who wrote about church history, says that their cities, their islands, their castles, their businesses, their councils, their armies, their tribes, their palaces, their senate, their courts... Christians were populating every one of those to such a number that if all the Christians would have agreed to walk out of Rome on one day, Rome would have fallen over on its side. Why? Why under such hatred and persecution, such power, such bloodshed, why is Christianity growing and growing and growing? Why? One reason. Thousands of years before this, God met a man named Abraham. God brought Abraham out in the nighttime. He told Abraham to look up in the night sky. Abraham, look up there. How many stars do you see? Your descendants, your spiritual descendants, are going to outnumber those stars. And now we have the Hubble telescope. How many stars is that? 
listen, here's why I'm saying this. Do, do you think that we live in a day when there's a lot of people around us that believe a lie and believe it strongly? So that when you or I open up God's word and, and tell the truth, right? What did Paul do for two years in that room? What did he do? He just said, hmm. well, God's word says, well, I don't really believe in the Bible. Well, that's funny because in Romans chapter 2, it says that you do actually believe in the God, you know? But I'm just telling you the truth. And at a time when we might look around and say, I... It does not seem like the truth is prevailing. You and I look in Acts chapter 28 and look in the rearview mirror throughout the history of God's people. Who wins? Jesus Christ gathered his disciples said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. This is where the book of Acts started. If you were here for the first week, Jesus Christ ascended and said, you guys, I have been made king over every nation of the world. That is what king of kings and lord of lords means. Jesus Christ says, I'm the king of the whole world. All the liars have been occupying all of my countries and imprisoning people in a prison of lies. Go fight a war of truth. Go tell them the truth about me. Preach the gospel. Disciple the nations. Tell them the truth about me. How's that going? Now, we might get tempted to be like, it doesn't seem like it's going very well. We might be tempted to think that way. Christianity started with just a couple of hundred people. On our planet right now, today, 7.7 billion people. How many of those are Christians? Billions of them. You look back through church history. How many... Was God faithful when he, he told Abraham, more than the stars? Did God lie? Who can stop the Lord? When the God of the universe sets his mind at something, when he lays out a plan, there's a plan. And everything's in the plan. And everything is going according to plan. And now, you know, in, in our history, I mean, just like it's Memorial Day, on Memorial Day we look back in our history and we see that wave after wave of people have, heroes, laid their life on the line. They've done it. And that is a wonderful heritage as an American. It really is. But it's not the same as your heritage in Christianity. Wave after wave. For millennia upon millennia, for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, God's people have been people of the truth, willing to tell that truth into a whole world of lies and bleed if that pleased and honored God. And that's not all only in the rearview mirror, friends. We have a heritage. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And Peter ran his race. And he finished his course. And the Apostle Paul ran his race and he kept the faith and he finished the course. And he died a hero. And, and they gave it to us. It's your turn. Will you tell the truth? 
Will you teach the nations? Will you not be a coward? There are days when Christianity takes courage. It's always been that way. It's always been that way. And if there's one reason why we're going to be successful, because he made a promise. And I want to tell you, every single person, every single one of us, every person who's ever lived finishes their life in one position. Every one of us will look square into the two fiery eyes of the truth. Jesus Christ is his name. And it is a total binary. There is only one of two options. He will either say, come with me into eternity of beauty and glory and love forever. That, either that. Or he will say, I don't even know you. And there's no spectrum. There's no middle spot. There's no remedial class that you can go to to do catch-up homework. What have you done with Jesus Christ? Have you done the only thing that's appropriate for you to do? Which is believe him. Place your trust in him. His blood to cleanse your sins, to make you right with God. Is that what you've done with Jesus Christ? Or have you put him over to the side? I got other goals that I'm pursuing. I just want to tell you, please don't do that. And scripture tells us that even right now while I'm talking about Jesus Christ, for the only difference, the only thing that happened to those of us that are Christians, we weren't the kind of people who were like, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm the kind of guy who can't really get fooled. So when I heard, when I heard the message of Jesus, I really believe that that's not it. The Bible says that the first thing that the Holy Spirit had to do was to convince you that what you believed before about Jesus was a lie and then open up your heart to receive the truth. And God does that. So today, if right now while I'm talking about this, today if you're hearing his voice, do not harden your heart, but listen. And we're going to have a prayer team that's right down here that would love to talk to you about what does it mean to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The rest of us Christians, many people have died on the storm front between the truth of Christ and a world of lies. What can Christ count on from you? Would you stand to your feet? Let me close in a prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that, Lord, I pray that my words about your word will have honored you. I pray that the ones that are, are worthwhile, the ones that come from you, that they'd be like seeds that would be planted in the fertile soils of our lives and that they would grow up and build up, bring a harvest. Lord, make us people who love the truth and hate the lies. And I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.